Kapag hindi kayo sumuko, lalo kayong mapapasubo Baka tuluyan na kayong di matuntun Hi there, this is Mark and welcome back to the Sagittarian Project A history podcast featuring readings about the dark years of martial law in the Philippines So last time we read about Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos's delusions to install themselves as monarchs of this country. Ideas that had not only been entertained like one would if something fantastical entered one's mind, like say if a little girl dreams of becoming a princess because she saw it on television, or a boy daydreaming about living in a castle because she saw one on a page of a book. No, no, it's not just that for little Ferdinand and Imelda. It's way past that. Theirs is something whose framework and path had been outlined and whose steps to Camelot had gotten closer and closer. They got this close to crowning themselves as king and queen. In the last episode called Philippine Camelot, the royal wannabes in Ferdinando de Melda Marcos, we read about this framework. If you haven't yet, please listen to that episode. We explore the conjugal dictator's fascination with the ancient social order or castes in prehistoric Philippines. In today's episode, we're going to continue reading from the same passages in Chapter 4, A Dark Age Begins, in a reference book, The Conjugal Dictatorship by Primitivo Mijares. This time, though, our focus is on the imams and the dictatorship's relationship with religion. We begin a reading. The most nebulous and unidentifiable of the castes as of this time is that which is made up of the imams. There are strong doubts right now whether the various religious groups in the Philippines, that is, Catholics, Protestants, or Muslims, would be willing to serve more than the spiritual needs of Marcos. Although the religious would occupy a distinct place in the caste system being fashioned out by Marcos, they find the plan disgustingly violates the elementary freedoms of their flock. In fact, the Archbishop of Manila, Monsignor Jaime Cardinal Sin, triggered an ecumenical movement directly opposed to the worldly needs of Ferdinand and Imelda. The Archbishop has echoed the ecumenical demand that Marcos commit suicide by giving up his dictatorial powers. Of course, we know Cardinal Sin... As, uh, as the Arch, Cardinal Archbishop of Manila, who served from 1974 to 2003. He was instrumental in the ouster of Marcos from power by rallying the Catholic population of the Philippines against the dictator. Sin also led the ouster of Joseph Estrada from power due to corruption charges in 2001. He died in 2005. We go back to our reading. Sin has proven to be a greater pain in the neck for Marcos than his immediate predecessor in the Manila Archdiocese, the late Rufino Cardinal Santos. An exasperated President Marcos, talking one day to Imelda and some members of the cabinet, even bitterly observed that it seems that, quote, only the ugly pians are being good to us, end quote. Presidential Assistant Jacobo C. Clave, a preacher in his own right, stated, that the Methodists are also good to the administrators of the new society. Quote, Oh yes, Jake, they go to worship at the Cosmopolitan Church where Senator Salonga preaches more regularly than you do on Sundays. End quote. The dictator quipped 
unable to conceal his irritation. President Marcos is not given to making idle pronouncements. His appreciation of the support of the Aglipayan Church for martial law and his displeasure on the behavior of the majority religious sects were portentous of ideas lurking in the dark recesses of his mind. On several occasions, he had actually thought aloud that the new society might just duplicate the feat of the first Philippine Republic by breaking away from Rome and designate the Philippine Independent Church, which is Aglipayan, as the official imam of the new society's imperial dynasty. The Marcoses are descended from the founders of the Aglipayan Church in the Philippines. The first supreme bishop, the Obispo Maximo of the Philippine Independent Church, was Bishop Gregorio Aglipay, after whom the Nationalistic Church was named. Aglipay shot to national prominence in the wake of demands within the leadership of the revolutionary government in 1899 for the Filipinization of the Catholic Church. Appointed military vicar general of the revolution by President Emilio Aguinaldo on October 20, 1899, Aglipay urged the Filipino clergy at the time to unite and ask the Pope to appoint Filipinos in, in all church positions from the archbishop down to the last parish priest. Aglipay agreed with and wholeheartedly endorsed a plan of Apollinari Mabini, the brains of the Malolos Congress for the organization of a church administered by Filipinos. It was not until July 1901, however, when a radical reformist named Isabelo de los Reyes returned to the Philippines from Rome and founded the Iglesia Filipina Independiente, marking officially the beginning of the schism with Rome. Aglipay accepted the position of Supreme Bishop of the new church. Aglipay ventured into politics during the first Commonwealth elections in 1935, by himself running for the post of president as head of the Republican Party against Manuel L. Quezon, the standard bearer of the Nacionalista Consolidado. General Aguinaldo was the third contender for president, carrying the banner of the Popular Front. Mariano Marcos, father of Ferdinand, was a candidate of Aglipay against Julio Nalundasan, the candidate of Quezon, in congressional elections that culminated in the murder of Nalundasan and the subsequent conviction of Ferdinand Marcos for that murder by a trial court. Because of this, the thoughts and ideas of Marcos about the Aglipayan church had some historical moorings. Considering the weakness he and Imelda are now showing for things of royal hue and color, a break with Rome and other religious denominations to a degree less than the schism provoked by Aglipay may not be far-fetched. After all, the thinking of Ferdinand and Imelda show their heavy penchant for adopting the ways of British royalty, which they want to be the model for their own royal reign in the Philippines. Specifically, Marcos has in mind King Henry VIII, who made his own break with Rome to be able to marry Queen Anne Boleyn. Four of the major reform measures programmed by Marcos for his new society were of such delicate nature as to offend the finer sensibilities of the religious, specifically the Catholic Church. These are the following. Number one, legalization of gambling. Number two, imposition of taxes on revenue-raising properties and institutions owned by religious organizations. 
oh, and nothing's going to offend the church, we know that, than subjecting themselves to taxation. <laughs> Number three, legalization of divorce. And number four, legalization of abortion. So at least now we know that as early, or maybe even earlier, but we know for a fact now that as early as Marcus years, the Marcus years, um, divorce was being proposed to be to be legalized. Um, although, of course, in this case because Marcos gave himself legislative power or he basically rules by decree, this idea is, did not come from the people themselves or representatives of the people. The idea came from Marcos himself and alone, maybe. But we will learn about the potential reason as to why he's proposing to legalize divorce. We continue reading. Marcos has already put the first two into the statute books. The first by decree that paved the way for the launching of a floating casino at Manila Bay, and the second through the martial law constitution, although he has suspended its implementation and is holding it as a sword of Damocles on the Catholic Church. The more serious thing legalization of divorce, which could bring the conservative Catholics up in arms against Marcos, is now being seriously considered by the male half of the conjugal dictatorship. <laughs> the male half. That's funny. A draft of the divorce decree was ordered by the president to be prepared and submitted to him as early as 1973. Now, one must bear in mind in studying the plan of Marcos to legalize divorce in the Philippines is that he has never done anything in his life that is not calculated or designed to benefit himself first, to benefit himself first politically and personally. What benefit politically or personally would the divorce decree bring Marcos? One can always hark back to the days when Marcos was repeatedly promising actress Dovi Beams that he will divorce Imelda and make the Hollywood last the first American First Lady of the Philippines. The installation of a new First Lady in Malacanang, whether Imelda is still alive or not, was very much conceivable. After making that cowardly decision to impose martial law, it would have surprised nobody if Marcos did away with Imelda, perhaps in the dead of night. Oh, that's uh, that's very interesting. Primitivo is is suggesting here that Marcos Ferdinand, the male half of the conjugal dictatorship, would have gotten rid of Imelda. I don't know what exact in what sense that did did he mean that. Perhaps in the dead of the night. That was a scary proposition. We continue reading. Stealing into the night is a forte of Marcos. Aided, abetted, and prodded this time by the most ambitious first lady the Philippines has ever had, Marcos was like a thief in the night as he stole into the stage 
of history to plunder the freedom and patrimony of the Filipino people. After all, the night holds a thousand evil plots for Marcos. He was born by his own admission on a dark, moonless night on September 11, 1917. Stealing into the night is a forte of Marcos. Oh, we know that. Even in death. That's his forte. We recall how he was buried at the Libingan ng mga bayani, happening the very early morning of that day. So it turns out was rolling already, was being carried out as his body was probably shipped, taken from Ilocos, all the way to Manila that very night. And then it was in his own admission, said Primitivo Mijares, that he was born on a dark, moonless night on September 11. It was on a dark night in 1935, as established by a Philippine trial court, that a young Ferdinand, using a rifle stolen from the Armory of the University of the Philippines gunned down Nalundasan, who had just won an overwhelming election victory for the second time in a congressional election in Ilocos Norte against Mariano Marcos. It was on a dark night on September 21, 1972, that Marcos extinguished the light of freedom in Asia's remaining bastion of democracy by using the guns of martial law to cow and oppress his countrymen. Not a lot of people know that Ferdinand Marcos was a convicted murderer. He was convicted as the killer of, of Nalundasan, the opponent of his, his dad, Mariano Marcos, for a congressional seat in Ilocos Norte. So this was 1935, so before the war. He was a young, he was a young boy. He was a young teenager. And he was a member of a the rifle team at the University of the Philippines. And it was found out that one of the rifles was missing at the University of the Philippines the night before Nalundasan was shot, a murderer. It was also on a dark night in humid Washington, D.C., when Marcos brazenly sought to extend the dirty and ugly hands of his martial rule in the Philippines to prevent a witness with an offer of a 50,000 bribe from talking before a committee of the House of Representatives in the U.S. Congress about the details of his own Watergate-style scandal in the Philippines. It was a daring attempt by a tin-horn Asian dictator to tamper with sacred and hallowed American institutions. On those dark nights of September 21, 1972, and June 16, 1975, Marcos sought alternately to ensure and protect a lifetime of ambition, planning, and execution to install himself as a new smiling and ascetic dictator of an imperial dynasty in the making in Southeast Asia. 
Now, at least temporarily, Marcos holds sway in the seat of power, which he had violently grabbed with his spectacular wife Imelda over the lives and fortunes of 45 million Filipinos. Their court is in the city of Manila, and their headquarters is Malacanang. Together, this powerful triumvirate exercises unchallenged power as they bleed and rule their people. As they make the Philippines endure what is probably the worst dictatorship Asia has known, Ferdinand and Imelda make laws at will, frighten masses of people into abject submission, and contemptuously and callously imprison thousands who oppose them. They even prescribe the terms of intimate behavior and set every rule for living and speaking and writing, except for themselves and the privileged members of the ruling clique. That concludes our reading for today. Thank you for listening to the Sagittarius Iron Project. If you enjoy our episodes, please consider subscribing to this podcast and leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts to help to help us get more people to listen to this show. You can also follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. If you have any feedback or suggestions for the show, please let us know by sending us a message on our social media accounts, Sagittarian Project on both Facebook and Instagram, or email us at sagittarianproject at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now, and see you in our next episode. Kapag hindi kayo sumuko, lalo kayong mapapasubo, makatuluyan na kayong di matuntun. Kahit saan kayo magtago, kung may ulo ay may pako, makatuluyan na kayong maibaon. May araw rin kayo, may araw rin kayo, may araw rin, may araw rin, may araw rin kayo. May araw rin kayo, 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 may